morning, everyone, and I hope your day is traveling in a good direction. And if it's not, remember what we always say, that you can at least tweak it a little bit and get it going, maybe perhaps in a different direction. And as always, I'm excited about this podcast. Um, And I know that you probably guys are probably like, oh, God, she's always excited about something. Absolutely. And you know the reason I'm excited. If you're not excited about something, you will be in a dungeon is about something else. So I just choose excitement. But Today, I'm excited for a very special reason. We are going to start uh, to touch on a very serious issue that is dear to my heart. As a matter of fact, it is going to be a personal platform for me at the Issue Family. And it is the topic of mental health. And now everyone knows that um, I love my black people. So specifically, we're going to begin a dialogue about the importance of mental health in the black community. And I am sitting here with Priscilla Jones Mercer, and she is a licensed clinical social worker. And she just told me what SAP meant, and I have completely forgot, but she's going to bring you in on that. Um, I'm having one of those brain, um, one of those brain things. Y'all, I'm getting old, so just, just forgive me. But nevertheless, mental health in the black community. Y'all, we got work to do. We have to open our eyes, and we have to become realistic about some very serious issues when it comes to our black mental state. No longer can we continue to say, pray about it. The good Lord will see you through. And even worse than that, be in denial. And even in worse than that, be convicted because black people don't go see those people. And yada, 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 not to belabor the point. So, I want to just go ahead and get Sister Priscilla in here is what I call it. She's my sister. Mental health in the black community, are we advocating enough? No. Professionally, I believe we're not advocating enough. I think each of us have a responsibility, especially in our community. I decided four years ago I was working for a Fortune 500 transportation company, and I decided one day, actually, I guess the Holy Spirit told me it's time for me to leave because I realized that our African-American community was dying. And how could I sit here in a corporate corporate 500 company um, serving others when my folks were deteriorating? So I prayed about it. And January, the Lord told me it's time to move, and I decided to leave. And the HR department was shocked because after 20 years, making a decent salary. But I realized God wanted me to use my knowledge, skills, and abilities to help those around me and those that look like me. So I made the sacrifice. And glad I did. Um, It saddens me because folks that look like me don't have the proper care or the education or even sometimes the motivation to change their um, current situation. They need help. So um, like I told you earlier for this podcast, I look at my um, behavioral health practice more as a ministry than a group practice. And and that was um, very interesting to me that you, well, even more, let me go back to what new knowledge 
being in a corporate environment and, and making a very good salary and then deciding to walk away from it. It sounds like to me that the ministry calling um, was the reason for that. And, and I want to kind of touch on callings. Many people, I guess, don't know that their, the career that they're trained for can be a ministry. Oh, absolutely. Because actually one of my gifts is to serve. So again, I, I look at, again, what I'm doing, even at, you know, the clinical, the educational um, experience and the degrees allowed me to just kind of take my service to a higher level to help those who are, who are in need. That's how I look at it. But definitely. SAP. We're going to get back to that. It was substance. Substance abuse professional. And I asked um, her earlier, um, did she deal with a lot of substance abuse? And she said, absolutely. And we began to to think about different types. And we all automatically know drug and alcohol addiction. But we started to talk about a couple of other things. uh, And we started to think about how it's even hard for black folks to even say sexual addiction. Um, We can't even get the words out of my, out of my, we can say sexual addiction. Okay, so little alone, little alone, will we ever go get help for a sexual addiction? And so I, I want you to kind to um, kind of walk us through what, it, what in your professional opinion, in, in your best opinion, what it is that, that you think makes black folks who are living in um, bondage, such as alcoholism and in. Um, drug addiction and, and sexual addiction and, and shopping addiction and we can I'm pretty sure you can add more than I'm not even thinking what makes us so closed off to even speak the words well you know years now years ago even currently but I, therapy counseling was a taboo in the African American community you know historically we were raised, and I know I was raised, I don't want to tell my age, but raised to deal with our problems on our own. And I'm sure, you know, many of us can think of an uncle or cousin that may have some mental health issues, but they stayed in a room. You know, yes. they weren't exposed to other family members. Yes. Because of embarrassment. So we take those things away. Embarrassment, embarrassed for what? It's just a mental health disorder. It's a substance abuse. It's pain. It's pain. People use drugs for several reasons, but majority of folks use drugs for unresolved childhood issues, um, pain, grief, loss, so many, you know, emotional issues, verbal, physical abuse, you know. um, So they cover that up and they use the drugs to, to, um, you know, try to minimize that pain. But the pain is still there. you got to deal with it. Um, So many times, you know, growing up, you know, we weren't told, you know, you know, you got an issue, your uncle's, you know, locked in a room because he may have some problems. Well, let's take him to go see a therapist or a psychiatrist. That was taboo in our community. You know, I think just now people are realizing, um, you know, I may need to get some help or um, we still got more work to do. But for the pockets here, I mean, I have to say, <clears throat> excuse me, that my clientele has increased tremendously. So again, you know, the mental health awareness is getting out there to some pockets of the population and folks who, you know, wanna try therapy. Because a lot of times I have some clients that come for the first time and they're like, you know, my perception of therapy was not what I expected or what happened or this is it. You know, during after our first session, they're like, this is it. 
And it's like, well, what were you expecting? And they're expecting, I guess, a whole lot more. I guess what they see on TV, I'm not sure. But um, it's talk therapy, and it's good to sit down and talk to someone. It's not painful. Nobody's going to take something and ding you or zap you if you say the wrong answer. There's no wrong answers. This is, you know, these are your feelings, and your feelings are valid in, in a session. So I guess people, when they go, you know, go see a therapist or psychiatrist for the first time, it's like, wow, I don't know what I was expecting. And, but I wasn't expecting this, and this wasn't painful at all. It's like, but, 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 you know, usually my, my um, question uh, answer is, well, what were you expecting? Um, question, I'm sorry, would be, what were you expecting? Um, and, and sometimes, many times, they can't articulate what they're expecting, but it wasn't just sitting here talking to someone and, you know, um, getting some direction, wisdom, feedback, or encouragement, so. You just brought back a story the first time that I went to see a therapist, and I remember when I walked through her door, uh, I was very disappointed. I was looking for the couch. I was already, I was already to sprawl out on this couch as I had seen on TV, and so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, she's gonna fill out my paperwork and there's, you know, more paperwork, and then we're gonna go in the room where the couch was at. I'm just looking for this couch, so finally I got the nerve to answer. Where's couch? Where's your sofa? It's like, I don't have a sofa. I got chairs. I mean, there is no sofa. Again, what you see on TV? No, no. But it was that exchange that caused her to giggle as well that um, um, broke whatever trepidations I had about it. But um, going back to my family and about the uncle locked in the room, not only were we to lock that person away, uh, we were forbidden to tell about it, tell anyone. Don't you tell nobody what goes on in this house. Right, right, right. Yeah, we all grew up with that. Do not tell anybody what goes on in my house. Whatever happens in my house stays in my house. Yeah. Yeah, and which has been a topic of discussion for me lately because we have got to bring to light there were some very terrible things that went on in black houses that were not being told. And I just mentioned to um, my producer um, that I that um, works, we talk about this stuff all the time. And thankfully for me as a child, I was not touched. Mm-hmm. I was not harmed in any way sexually. But we know, you mentioned it, there are there's trauma that has happened to people that happened in their childhood being touched by uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so or um, the woman that made the pound cake for the church supper or the deacon that was there and, and, and when the child if they were brave enough to go and say something they were shot down don't you talk about and so now they're into their adulthood and they're dealing with all of this stuff do you do you see the connection in your ministry in your work uh, of that that crossover from them not being allowed to say anything, and if you, even if they did, nobody would believe them. Absolutely, it's like those family secrets you're not supposed to tell about, and you just keep it to yourself. But then, if it happened as a child, you grow up, you still have those issues you bring into adulthood that have never been resolved. So, what do you do with that pain? So you may go out and start, you know, smoking marijuana, and then it increases to, you know, uh, maybe cocaine and then heroin or pills just for that temporary escape. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we carry these things into childhood. So, you know, what do you do with them? You know, we're told not to tell anybody. So, you know, maybe that prevents me from talking to a stranger, a therapist, or somebody, you know, that I think... Um, may be able to help me but then also there's a lack of trust i mean a lot of clients that come here they have trust issues and rightly so i mean if you were touched as a child and and i can't talk about it or my mother doesn't believe me or my father doesn't believe me or the person who raised me you know don't believe me um i can think of a couple of cases where um 
more men in my caseload have been touched than females. So what do you do with that? You know, you're supposed to be a man. Um, and men do get touched. We know that. Boys Absolutely. get touched. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so and I'm just thinking as I'm talking about a few cases that are just, you know, twirling in my mind that um, a gentleman, his uncle had touched him from the time he was 9 to 15. And he told his mother, but his ne- mother never did anything about it or said, you know, you're not telling the truth. It was her brother. So, you know, he had to deal with that. And there's a lot of times uh, my clients have to deal with the person that molested them, um, you know, and it wasn't reported. Um, so, and you're supposed to trust the adult in your life. You know, that creates, you know, lack of trust when you get older. Again, these are issues that we carry to adulthood. Mental health in our black males is such a stigma. And, and I, I could not um, imagine what that must feel like uh, as a man that, that was touched as a young boy. Um, Lord only knows what someone said to him. Uh, a lot of times in, in the little bit that I've read and the little bit that people have shared with me, um, there's usually some blame that is placed on the child. Um, and, and, and this is the one that really bothers me if it's a young girl. Uh, well, you shouldn't be so fast. Mm-hmm. Or you shouldn't have done. Or you shouldn't have been around. These are children that we're talking about. You know, <clears throat> I've been doing this for about 35 years. Um, and I actually wanted to challenge myself because for years, many years, I wouldn't accept um, a pedophile on my caseload. And I think because I had so many clients that were touched at younger ages by, you know, relatives or what have you, I actually wanted to assess a pedophile, evaluate a pedophile to see what would make you do what you've done to others. So I did have a client. I decided to take um, a couple years ago, and um, he had spent 30 years in jail for molesting six boys, young boys, from the ages of 7 to 11. That's the kind of age group he, he liked. So, um, and I worked with him for about over two years, and what I found in this session with him, he was touched. Uh, and many times that's n- not uncommon. And um, so he was touched. He vaguely remembers, but, um, and he was married. Um, He was the church um, minister of music. So he spent 30 years in jail where he became um, involved in the prison choir, whatever, but um, spent 30 years. And, you know, when he came out, I think the the young men that he touched were like in their mid-30s at the time because we talked about, um, I was feeling guilty, but talked about um, you know, writing letters to them in terms of you know, he was embarrassed, um, but realized that he was touched as a child as well. And there was some physical evidence of him being touched, so. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's a tough one, but I've quite a few. I think it surprised me too, coming from corporate and deciding to go into therapy full time and dealing with a, a, a large caseload and a lot of the. 
I think I was more surprised that more men had been molested than women. I think we said, you know, you don't, I guess you don't hear more about men being molested than you do girls growing up or whatever, but I think that kind of surprised me. And they weren't all incarcerated. Um, these were folks living with family members um, that were molested, like cousins, uh, male, females, or what have you. But um, yeah, and then it, it affects them, you know, their manhood, as they say. You know, I'm not gay, and why did that person touch me? Or, you know, then they've got to prove sometimes that they're not gay, so they go and have these multiple partners um, instead of dealing with. But a lot of guys, even to today, that, you know, we talk about it, it's, it's embarrassing. But it's okay, it wasn't your fault. It's something you didn't had no control over. Somebody violated you, which is a horrible thing. Um, so it's just getting them to you know, recognize and understand that, but it still doesn't make it better. They still have to deal with those feelings, unresolved feelings and issues. Um, if you've been anger, you know. That saddens me to hear you say that, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I am learning that our black men carry a lot of, um, of, of I'm, I have to search for a word, they carry a lot of things internally um, because there seems to be an expectation uh, for black men that now may be a little bit unfair. Uh, and I have to always question myself, you know, do I add to that pressure? And, and we, we won't go back into the history of our race being here, but we, have we really left enough space for our black men to even to address their mental health? Or to show them or teach them how to deal with their hurt and pain. Does anybody say to them, okay, when you feel this way, this is how you handle it? You know, I realized too, um, being a therapist and with our population, many times we're not learned um, or taught, I'm sorry, we're not taught how to deal or how to, um, we don't have good coping skills. That's the key, having coping skills um, to deal with things in life or taught how when this happens, this is what you do. Um, so for a lot of our men, we want them to be leaders. We want them to be this, but nobody tells them or shows them or educates them. This, when this happens to you, this hurt and pain, this is how you handle it. This is what you do. You know, um, talking to another man, this is how you handle it. So a lot of times they don't know. And, a lot, and I'm gonna tell you, um, not only do you know we deal with folks from all types of um, referred from all types of agencies, but we also deal with a lot of folks that are re-entering um, in, back into the community from being incarcerated. We call it re-entry, and a lot of and actually I started my um, profession as a um, correctional social worker in Jessup for wow. years, okay. right? Okay. So I I really have a passion for that population, and um, a lot of the guys that we deal with now that are re-entering back into the community for being incarcerated for like over 20, 30 years. Um, a lot of time they have pain, a lot of pain, but a lot of times they didn't have relationships with their fathers mm -hmm. or a positive male role model. So a lot of times they'll tell me, I don't know how to deal with the relationship. I don't know how to really be a man. I don't, nobody taught me. I didn't see that growing up. Well, I didn't see my father handle, you know, depression or handle a crisis or conflict. I didn't see, I don't have an example of that. Because a lot of times they'll say, I don't know how to be a man. I don't know how to function in a relationship with a woman. I don't know how to have a good, solid relationship with my children. It's a cycle. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a continuous cycle, which is really sad. So, you know, um, 
I do have a passion for our men. And many times, I mean, you know, just trying to um, get these guys with positive, good male role models um, has been a challenge. So um, we're going to continue work to try to do that. But a lot of times, you know, these guys are spent so many years in jail and haven't had positive relationships, and it's hard because they get out. So what do you do when, you know, uh, you've been in jail for 20 years and, you know, your children's mother you thought had a relationship is now with another man. You know, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that hurt? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you mentioned coping. Yes. And, and, and generally, in, in my personal experience, what actually took me to therapy the first time and um, has taken me to therapy many other times and will probably be bringing me back to therapy depending on how these people start treating me with this podcast because we <laughs> you know, it probably be, I'll be knocking on your door you, you got to do something you got to help me Priscilla because I'm about to break my foot off but anyway it, it's, it's the coping and, and for me personally it was coping with, with, with specific things in my life. I became a mother at a young age, so I'd never been a mother before. I, I was still um, needed mothering. Um, I married relatively um, young, I'm, and, and, and just a whole bunch of different things. And so I'd never been, hadn't been married, hadn't seen a really healthy marriage. My mother was seeing, you know, it, that didn't exist. So even being in a marriage sent me to therapy because it was hell. Okay, um, but you, you, you know, in, in some distance, it's leading up to another topic. The first place that we are told to run when these we're not coping very well, and she, I wish y'all could just see her, she just dropped her head. But the, the first place we're told to run is to the church. Okay, okay, and um, unfortunately, you, if you're lucky, you may get 15 or 20 minutes with the preacher or a designated in house therapist that. Somebody has designated because they kept sister or brother so and so from jumping out the bridge fifty five years ago. <laughs> that wasn't helping me. As a matter of fact, it was making some of the areas more difficult in the areas that I wasn't coping with because it's almost as though they wanted me to be in a perfected state. So this is leading me up to another question: Are we in the Christian community making it harder? Um, to to get rid of the stigmas and to br to bring that trust cycle, um, to to open up doors and avenues where we are advocating for our own mental health in our communities, are, are are we making it worse or are we making it better in these days and times? That's a really good question. Um, I would say, well, what I'd like to say is I think most churches, I'm not saying that the pastor has to be a therapist, but I think even just having the information on hand at the church, or if somebody um, has an issue or problem, or advertising more about the church has a directory of uh, services available in the community, just something like that, um, to me that's, that's helping. Each church is different, so it's hard to answer that question, but I think I'd like to see more churches have a directory or have somebody on hand if somebody calls a church and say, you know, um, I'm feeling depressed, what do I do? And it's, you know, just basic questions you can ask and refer them on to somebody else, a professional that can handle it. Just having the, the information on hand at church will show that, you know, they, they want to address the issues, you know, if somebody calls in and needs somebody. Um, 
But I think most people or pastors or deacons or ministers or whoever may feel a little uncomfortable because that's not their area of expertise. But again, just having information on site to hand somebody, you know, can be extremely helpful. You know, or if you're feeling suicidal, homicidal, you know, if you're feeling this way, you know, this is the nearest hospital, you know, go 911. Again, just the basic questions that, you know, if somebody called and needing help, you can ask and, and then you can just refer them on. I'd like to see more churches do that. So would I, and um, I, I appreciate your um, navigating that touchy subject. Um, I, I navigate it a little bit differently. Uh, it may not be the pastor's area of expertise, but within our community, the pastor has consistently had the ear of the people. Only if it's for depending on how long the church service. And unfortunately, people in our community put a lot of trust in the pastor's uh, words that are coming out of their mouth. And so I entirely agree with you that the pastor could take a little bit more time to say, look, this is a therapist that is in our congregation. If you're not comfortable... Or, or, or have something in the bulletin or something going, you may not even say it, but something that says that, okay, that you agree with, we need, I don't care, put a bumper sticker on your cars, but something, you know, an ink pen, you know, get, you, you, you know what I mean, it's my, yeah. <laughs> you know, y'all, I'm just, say, y'all, I just, see, this why I'm going to be sitting up here in, in Priscilla's office, because I'm telling you now. <laughs> I got so much that the Lord just, okay, anyway, something. And, and I think that that would begin to not only open up to people in the congregation, but you mentioned something. Um, pastors, ministers, teachers, prophets, evangelists, deacons, deaconettes, church um, secretaries, um, praise team leaders, you name it, are suffering as well. And a lot of them are suffering in silence. And part of what I've seen in the church is that the church itself becomes a therapy. Every time the church opens, and that was me for a season, Bible study, women's meeting, missionary, you know, Sunday school, revival. And that there becomes their therapy just for that release for a moment. Absolutely. Just temporary. You're absolutely right. Because you're able to get involved with something else and not think about your existing and current issues. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you know, um, in the therapy and uh, substance abuse world, um, most folks use drugs um, as a temporary escape, and we call that self-medicating. You know, mm -hmm. you're using drugs just to self-medicate for other serious uh, unresolved issues and pain that you have. And I guess you're right. I guess you're running to the church. You're in so many different ministries, but you're still still not dealing with your own unresolved issues and problems. Um, yeah, we all have them. You know, it's just learning again, developing good coping skills on how to deal with them. Because in life, you'll have them. You have a lot of trials and tribulations. And, um, you know, trials and tribulations is only transportation to divine peace and intervention and, you know, prosperity. So, um, but, yeah, I'd like to see more churches involved. And I'm really glad to hear that and see that you're doing this podcast because it's really needed, honestly. 
um, any way to put the word out and making people aware of mental health. And it's okay. It's not serious. You know, um, you can man. It can be managed. You can deal with it with medication, medication and therapy. It can be managed. Um, it, it's not a life end of a life sentence. You know, I, I do a lot of clients that have schizophrenia, and um, a lot of times. Um, you know, some of them are using substances to deal with their issues, and you know, um, I'm informing them that you know, when you're using even marijuana or loud whatever you're using, um, your medication is not able to do what it's intended to do. So you will have increased symptoms of anxiety, paranoia, you know, visual and auditory hallucinations. So a lot of times, again, a lot of times they'll say, you know, I need that immediate escape. You know, but it's just temporary. It's it, but guess what? When the high comes down, you know those issues are still there. And another, t you know, and again, and people need education because a lot of times when I'm explaining it to them or, or tell them what's in loud, there's like 123 chemicals and in, in loud, and it could mm -hmm. be more. But you know, you you're ingesting the stuff in your body, and it can cause a lot of uh, medical problems as well. But a lot of times um, they just said, yeah, I just need that temporary escape, or they have anxiety, need something to calm them down. And again. And there's other ways to deal with issues of anxiety and um, depression. Again, medication, prescribed medication, not illegal substances, but prescribed medications, and talk therapy is a way to really manage those issues and problems and disorders. Absolutely. Um, and I, I want to thank you. I made one phone call when, when, when God actually dropped your name. Uh, and so I know that this is the beginning of something much more broader and in actually you mentioned um one of the other platforms that that issue uh, issue family um that is a personal passion uh to to our broadcast podcast and that is incarcerated people and those who are re-entry so that is a that is a passion to one of the the um to, to one of the partners with this podcast. And mine, of course, is, is mental, mental health. And a third happens to be dealing with um, young girls who are missing, whether or not they're running away from home or not. We need to find out why and, and, and are they being sex trafficked. And so you're, you're in a lot of areas that, that this platform actually has a heart for. And we intend to be a voice to what we are seeing, um, we're not going to talk about baking cookies. No, well, every now and then, if somebody got a good cookie recipe that, you know, everybody like cookies. But that's not the intentions. <laughs> she, she, y'all know God giving me this sense of humor. She over here. We, you know, Google it. Y'all can Google making some cookies, and, and, and YouTube's got videos to tell you exactly what these bottles look like. But y'all, we got some issues out here, and until we start. <laughs> digging in them and being bold enough um, to open up a dialogue to, for discussion and evaluation, um, looking for solutions and reaching out for solutions, they're just going to remain issues that we keep closed off, evaluated, and discussed. And I was sharing with Priscilla, and most people know, God shook me out the walls of the church. He shook me completely out of them. Um, and um, it be, because that's not where the minute, that's not where the need is, not in this day and time. You got to go, and and I am so ever thankful that he has me on this journey. Um, and I was just telling someone this morning, have you ever been where you know God has you? 
And that's what I feel with this podcast. I am right where God has me. Talking and doing, I'm in not my sweet spot. I'm in God's sweet spot. And what's my confirmation? All hell been breaking loose. Praise God. Absolutely. And it should break loose because you're doing something about it. You really are. You're not just sitting still. And this is a great way to get across to people and give them the information and encouragement. And I'm, I'm serious. I am just so glad that you, the God laid in your heart to come talk to me. But this is awesome. Thank you so much. Really. Now, Priscilla is in Baltimore, and I'm going to ask her to give, you, give her your information. But I know that she has a network uh, of um, therapists that she can recommend all over the United States of America. And because this podcast has been listened to in different countries, I'm not for sure what she can do about it. But we can, we, we can do something. So I'm going to uh, let her give her information to you. And those of you that know me personally, uh, you know my number. And, and, and we're going to get this conversation going even the more. And other than that, we, we're going to get ourselves some help. And um, we're going to help each other. And you're going to help me. I'm going to help you. Um, because, like I said, depending on how these folks start to act with these podcasts going for, if I can't get Priscilla, I need some of you guys that came through her to get therapy and learn how to cope with crazy folks. That I call y'all. I need a, <laughs> I need a team. <laughs> Okay, because I don't do very well with foolishness. But thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to give your information. Yes, I do. And thank you. I appreciate this. And come back anytime, please. Thank you. Um, PJ Merson Associates. Um, we have two offices, a northeast um, location, which is 1900 East Northern Parkway, Suite 201. And we also have uh, the west side location, 4805 Garrison Boulevard, Suite 100. And the office number is 667-303-3204. And there you have it. And then once again, as always, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, stick with us. Stick with us here on the issue. We're going somewhere. And it, it is our um, desire to bring along a lot of you with us. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.